0: You would open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And this morning we're going to start what is going to be about a four month study on the book of Philippians. Um, Does the four months in Philippians just so happen to coincide with the four months of the sabbatical? Well, never really thought about it. Uh, But, you know, Philippians is a book known for being about joy. There's so many great passages, and probably some of, the, some of your favorite Scripture passages are probably found in the book of Philippians. And it's impossible to read it, I think, without being encouraged. Okay, And the remarkable thing is that when we look at the book of Philippians, when we dig into the context of where Paul was when he wrote it, and to the people, the people to whom Paul was writing this book, Things don't really seem to add up. See, if we only, if all we knew about Philippians was the background of those things, we wouldn't expect to find joy in the book at all. So if you would, turn with me, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and uh, if you would please stand with me as we read these. Well, Father God, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes to your word. Lord, that the truth that is found in here would be for us, that you would speak to us through it, that you would, Lord, use it to, um, Lord, perhaps convict and to encourage us today. We pray this in Christ's name. (laughs) Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's inspired word for you this morning, so please be seated. Um, Just so you don't start panicking, we will do more than two verses normally at a time, or else it would take actually a lot longer than these four months to go through the book of philippians and we find out in verse 1 that paul along with timothy is kind of he's not a co-author but he's there present with him is sending this letter to philippi now where was paul when he wrote the letter some of you may know that the Philippians is one of the prison epistles. So Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. Now when we think of prison, don't think of you know, the jail cell that we, that we read about before where Paul was actually in Philippi. When he's in Rome, Paul is under a form of house arrest. And so while he's there, he's able to receive visitors. He's able to speak freely. He's able to preach. Um, and so, but he's, he's in prison. He's awaiting trial before Caesar. And that's where Paul is. And yet as we read the letter, there's little despair. You know, there's, there's, there's no pain, there's no agony. Instead we see a believer who is living out a life of joyful contentment. Now we might think if we are in prison, we'd have some contemptment. Is that a word? Contemptment? Um, but instead he's a life of joyful contentment. He knows where he is and he knows who he belongs to. In Philippi, the church to whom he is writing, it holds a dear place in Paul's heart. Acts chapter 16, which we uh, Sarah Beth read for us, um, we read the story about how Paul winds up in Philippi. He had been forbidden by the Spirit. He was planning to go to Asia, and he had been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and then he attempts to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow him. And then in a dream in the middle of the night, Paul receives a vision of a Macedonian man that says, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is on Paul's second missionary journey. He's with Silas, and that's how he arrives in Philippi. Now, it was Paul's custom when he arrived to a new town on these missionary journeys that he would go to a synagogue or a temple and begin to preach or teach there. Well, in Philippi, we don't even find that they have that. Instead, he goes down to the river, and he finds these women uh, who had been praying, and, and they, that was their, their custom was to get together by the river to pray. And he meets a woman named Lydia. She comes to faith along with her whole household. And then as he and Silas continue going through Philippi, they, they encounter this, this, uh, this girl. She'd been possessed by a demon, and she, she was a slave girl. Her owners were using her as a fortune teller. And as she encountered Paul and Silas, she started following them around, saying that these men are messengers of the Lord Most High. And it was really rather distracting. The Scripture actually uses the word annoying, that Paul was annoyed by this. And so what he did was he made the spirit come out of her. Okay, He exercised her of that spirit, which was great for the girl, but the owners were a little bit upset because there goes their source of income. And so they take Paul and Silas, and they're very upset with them. And uh, Acts chapter 16, if you turn there, you can read a little bit more of this story. Acts 16, this is verse uh, 19. Acts sixteen nineteen. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So we see that Paul has not had what we might call the most pleasant personal experience in Philippi. He's mercilessly beaten by the Romans. They didn't have the rule that the Jews had. Uh, When Jesus was beaten, it was the 40 lashes minus 1. Okay, that, that didn't apply here. And after being unlawfully beaten, because remember, Paul was actually, what was he? A Roman citizen. He's a Roman citizen who had not received trial, beaten mercilessly. They're thrown into prison with their feet into stocks. So we continue reading there in Acts 16. We read the rest of this passage in our unison reading. So what happens is that all the men are still there. And Paul calls out to him, don't don't do it. We're all here. And he replies, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they take him that night. They preach the gospel to him and to his household. And they baptize them in the name of Jesus. So when Paul thinks about this church, he remembers this city. And he's full of joy. And this is the first church that he established in Europe. And they were a desperately poor church. In second Corinthians 8, he's surprised that they've contributed to an offering for the poor in Jerusalem. In Philippi, they're persecuted for the cause of Christ. They were attacked by false teachers. There was a feud threatening the unity of the church. See, the remarkable thing about the book of Philippians is that neither Paul nor the church seemed to have much to be joyful about. But it was there that he met Lydia down by the river. You know, she was the seller of, a, of purple. It was hard to obtain. You know, it wasn't like this cheap purple stuff like I'm wearing today. This is partially intentional. Right, but in, in Thyatira, which is where she lived, um, in, in, in Rome, obtaining the color purple was, was it was highly sought after, and it was very expensive because there was a certain shellfish that of which the Roman, the purple dye came from, and from a single cell, uh, a single shellfish, you could obtain one drop of pure purple. It was very expensive. You can get the cheaper kind by smashing up the whole shellfish like that. But you got one drop of pure purple from each shellfish. Okay, so Lydia was a very successful businesswoman, and she invited Paul and Silas into her home, and they stayed with her. And it was here that her family became believers. And then he saw the Lord work this miraculous way in the jail, and and these people come to faith. And so as he's remembering his time in Philippi, Paul is responding with joy. It held a very special place in Paul's heart and in his memory. R. Kent Hughes says that what we must understand as we go through Philippians is that while there are various reasons for Paul's writing, this letter comes from the depth of fellowship that Paul and the Philippians shared in the gospel. This accounts for the feel of this letter and is the basis for what Paul said to the Philippians and how he said it. This is a fellowship of compatriots bound together in a great cause. You will not understand the letter if you do not understand this. See, uh, just over a week ago, we got back from the Dominican Republic, and, and it's interesting always with these trips, we, we get people from all over the church, and some of them are from outside of the church, and many of us don't ever spend time with each other outside of these trips. And then we go, right, and we serve, and, 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 and it's not always fun and games, believe it or not. Um, although we did have a, a great uh, dad's volleyball team that was just killing um, the young high school guys, right? We're undefeated, I think, right? Yeah. Um, so it's not always fun and games. We endure some, some, sometimes some pretty difficult things. There's been times when everybody has gone and gotten sick. There's been other times where, where just kind of terrible things happen, and yet you get back and you were doing all of this together for the sake of the gospel, and you can look back on these difficult times with fondness, remembering that special bond that you shared together. You know, we all have people like that. There's tough times in life that we endure with somebody, and that just makes our bond grow so strong. And that's the, the bond that Paul shares with the Philippian church. When he thinks about, the, about them, he's just welled up with these awesome memories. So perhaps knowing this, it makes a little more sense that the word joy is used today. It's, it's used throughout the book. It's actually used over a dozen times in the book of Philippians. So why is the book of Philippians such a good book for today? What well, offers that one thing that everybody is in search of. It offers joy. Now, we hear the word joy, uh, oftentimes we, we get a picture of somebody in our mind, right? Not, like, not a woman named Joy, but when I think of Joy, sometimes I think of Flo, the girl from the progressive commercials, You know, just that bubbly personality, that great, always really excited and happy. Um, There's a local uh, hardware store that I, for a while, was frequently visiting. Regardless of where I was and what I needed, I would go to this store because there was a woman that worked out in their garden section. And any time you saw her, she was just like overflowing with joy. As soon as I pulled up the car and parked in the parking lot, I could hear her voice because she was that loud. OK, and, and, and I, I won't say what store it was or what her name was, but when I go there now, she's not there. So I've stopped going there. OK, and, and it was anything. She thought everything that anybody said to her was the funniest thing ever. She's always laughing and smiling. And it was in such stark contrast to every other person that worked at the store because they all look like they're these soulless zombies, you know, walking around. And you have this woman that's working out in the garden section. She's having the time of her life. Now, I don't know if that's real joy or just some kind of good drug she was on, but I loved going to see her there, right? So we're talking about joy. And joy and happiness, they're two distinct ideas. See, happiness, this is an emotion that is dependent on everything else around us being good. You know, raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. These are a few of your favorite things. But now think of all the things that can take away your happiness. That list is pretty long, usually. You know, have you ever just been having a great morning, and one phone call, or one snide remark, or one social media post can just zap your happiness? See, happiness is only present when conditions are favorable. It is elusive. It is difficult to obtain, and it is impossible to keep. But everybody wants it. You know, Everybody wants to be happy. This is a universal idea. If you go to a bookstore, you're going to find a thousand self-help books on how to be happy. But how do we get happiness? Well, nobody seems to have any idea, right? We're all looking for it. You know, what are some things that we look for to try to bring us happiness? Material things? Well, they don't work. Get married? Not going to comment there. Have kids? Double no comment. Uh, You know, buy a nice car? Well, your neighbor gets a nicer one. You get a new house, everything starts to break. Um, Your favorite sports team? Well, even Alabama fans aren't happy all the time, right? So how is it that we find true happiness? New relationships, alcohol, sex, substances, the perfect social media selfie, right? These are all the things that people look to to find happiness, And God has placed in us a desire for happiness and a desire for pleasure and the satisfaction of our souls. This desire is strong. But the objects of our worldly affection are much too weak to provide anything more than a temporary reprieve. Here's C.S. Lewis talking about this idea. He said, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And yet that pleasure is so fleeting. If happiness is only present when conditions are favorable, then joy has to be independent of our circumstances and conditions. See, joy is a deep, abiding confidence that all is well. It is the full assurance that everything is good between a believer and God. And joy is what we see here in the life of Paul. While happiness is destroyed by pain, joy is deepened through trial. The full reality of joy is only experienced when it's contrasted with by sadness and sorrow and difficulties. So what is joy? Well, let's take a look back at Paul and Silas. They're beaten by rods and they're placed in a dungeon. Now, now it, it may not look like it, but I've actually belonged to several gyms in the city of Huntsville before, okay? Um, I've, I've, I've done quite a few different places. I, I, I don't tend to stay very long. Uh, this might explain why. The first day I go to a new gym, maybe you've experienced this, what do you feel like doing? Everything. If you've ever not worked out for a while and then you go and you see all these machines and you're looking at these people, they look so much stronger than you and yet they're like you know, barely doing anything and then you get on there and you start doing everything and you feel awesome. Anyone ever experienced this? Okay. You feel great for like six hours. And then every part of your body starts to hurt, okay? And, and then all you, it's, you can barely get yourself out of bed. That night you're laying in bed thinking, what have I done? You know, I just signed my life away for the next 12 months with these terrible people, right? And, and so you're thinking about that. And then everybody you're encountering with, oh yeah, I go to the gym. You know? You're talking about it because you're feeling the pain and then everything hurts. Well, imagine then Paul and Silas are just beaten mercilessly by rods. And that night, they're in prison with their feet bound, and what are they doing? They're singing hymns and praising God. They've been beaten near to the point of death, and yet they're singing and praising God. I can't even make it to the gym without complaining. You know, if, if, the, if they were us, we'd be contemplating our, our civil lawsuit, right, that's about to happen. Uh, instead, what they're doing is they're praising the Lord instead of crying out in agony. See, that's true joy. It's a joy that can't be taken away. It's something that's independent of their external circumstances. As J.M. Boyce writes, joy is a supernatural delight in God and God's goodness. It is an inner quality of delight in the Lord. So we'll be going through this in much greater detail throughout the book. Obviously, joy is mentioned over and over. Um, But when we see joy in this book, do not think happy. Okay, happiness, it's not deep enough. It's not long-lasting enough. Happiness can be lost in an instant, but joy cannot be taken away. And as Paul begins his address to the Philippians, we see that this letter, we get back to the content of the book in Philippians 1.1. Paul identifies he and Timothy. He calls themselves servants of Christ Jesus. Now, there's different words that Paul could have used here for servant. But the one that he chooses here is a Greek word doulos, which means slave or bond servant. You know, it, it, don't think, well, this was back in the day when slavery was kind of okay and you know, maybe it was kind of a, a cool thing to call yourself a slave. It was never, it's never been cool to call yourself a slave. It, it's, it's, it, was, it was offensive to call someone a slave that was not a slave. It was a big deal. There were negative connotations that went along with this word. But why would, call, why would Paul call himself then a slave of Christ? Well, here's two reasons. The first one is that he is reminding the church who he was. You know, the, the great temptation of any leader is to exercise their authority in a heavy handed way. But that's not the case here. Paul is saying that I am a slave, he's intentionally self deprecating. This is not about what Paul says, but simply about the fact that he is a servant, a slave of the Lord of Lords. So don't listen to the words I say because of who I am, but listen to the words I say because of the one whom I serve. Last week, Randy preached from John chapter 3. John the Baptist was saying, what? He must become what? Greater. I must become less. So don't listen to the words coming from the pulpit because it's Randy or because it's Dan or because it's some other person, right? If you listen, do it because we're merely servants, slaves to the great King Jesus. It's not about the messenger. The messenger's job is simply to deliver the message that he's been given from someone else. In the church at Corinth, we saw some were saying, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. And Paul said, may it never be. May it never be that someone is saying, I follow Randy, or God forbid, I follow Dan. That's going to take you to a dark place, right? Don't follow the slave when you can follow the master. The second thing Paul's saying here is that he's actually identifying himself with Christ. Now, the only other time the word doulos is used in Philippians is in chapter 2 in the great Christ hymn when Paul writes that Christ took the form of a servant. He took the form of a slave. So not only was Paul a doulos to God, but Christ was a doulos to us. Now just pause and think about that for a moment. That The great king, the high king of heaven, the God of the universe came as a servant, as a slave. And if Christ came as a slave, then what else could Paul be? A servant is not greater, after all, than his master. So if the master was also a servant, which he was, then those who serve the servant are even more so. As we begin this journey together into Philippians, these things that Paul addresses about himself are two important questions that we have to answer for us. The first question is, who are you? Who are you? And the second question is, whose are you? Because Paul said, I am a slave. That's who he was. He said, I am a slave of Christ. And that's whose he was. He said, I will gladly give up my rights, any claim that I have to my own person, in order to serve the Lord Jesus. For my joy is not found in my present circumstances, but in the deep and abiding love and mercy of Christ. A text went out 10 days ago from a 16-year-old girl to some friends. And she's about to get on a bus with other students from Mount Zion Baptist Church on the way to Botswana to serve on mission. She sent them a scripture verse, and then she added, We are like a wisp of smoke. We are only here for a moment, and it is not about us. Life is not about us. It's about God, who is eternal. So I want to dedicate the one moment I am here Completely and entirely to him. That's from Sarah Harmoning, who went on to lose her life that afternoon in a bus crash. Now think about that. What does a joyful servant look like? I want to dedicate the one moment I am here completely and entirely to him. Because it is only through service to the Lord that we can find that true joy. So who are you and whose are you? See, she knew the answer to those questions. Do we? Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your word. Father, we are grateful for the example given before us through the Apostle Paul. Lord, the way that you worked in his life. Lord, we pray and thank you for the example set before us by Sarah Harmoning. Lord, we, we pray for grace for her family this day, Lord. God, we are grateful for those who have gone before us that have served faithfully with joy, regardless of the circumstances and any condition. Lord, with the knowledge that you are God and they are but a servant. And Father, I pray that you would give us that same attitude and mindset, as Paul and as Sarah. Lord, that you would send us from this place, not pursuing worldly happiness, Lord, but pursuing a joy that can be found in no one else but in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.